Welcome to Wild Secrets, brought to you by Wild Talk, Australia's only free counselling service for people working and volunteering with native wildlife. Wild Talk is a registered charity, so all donations are tax deductible. See our website for details. In these episodes, we share ups and downs of working with wildlife, acknowledging while extremely rewarding can bring heartache. There may be tears, laughter, swears, and just a smidgen of learning. I'm your host, Francis Carlton. Today, my guest is Christy, based in Sydney. She's current spider mum and student and is an ex-theatre nurse. Today, she's going to talk to us about health, COVID, studying, and all things jumping spiders. Welcome, Christy. Thank you for talking to me today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So what is Oods of Spoods? Uh, So I am a jumping spider enthusiast. I'm also a photographer and I'm a keeper. And I am the face behind the influencers of the Instagram page, Oods of Spoods, which (laughs) I started at the start of this year. So pretty pretty short-lived, but having fun. <laughs> yeah. What made you start a, a spin, spin fluencer? Is that right? Influencers, yes. Spinfluencers page. <laughs> what made you start that? Um, well, I love animals. Like, I love all kinds of animals. Um, uh, I started keeping spiders last year, so I've kind of always had jumping spiders around the house, and I just enjoy their company. But um, I had a couple that sort of moved in permanently (laughs) and um like I would always get comments about how gross it was and like people didn't really understand that jumping spiders aren't super spidery like I I usually tell people they're more like a little cat so if you talk to them they'll make eye contact with you and they're responsive to your voice and they don't just sit around in a web they'll explore and they'll hunt and they're really interesting so I kind of wanted to change the perception of these spiders. I guess I'm trying to like rebrand jumping spiders so people know that they're they're different, I suppose. Do you do you have any training in in looking after or researching or observing arachnids? Um I don't. I I guess I'm self-taught and I'm lucky I've met a lot of really great keepers and biologists um, through Oods of Spoods who've given me awesome guidance and advice. But um, I do have an animal husbandry background in my family. So my dad comes from a long line of farmers. Um, My mum was a vet nurse growing up. Uh, She also volunteered with the local wildlife sanctuary. She drove the animal ambulance. So we always had animals in the house. And um, she and I also bred um Australian birds so budgerigars and cockatiels okay okay what sort of animals did you grow up with what animals did I not grow up with (laughs) (laughs) and everything we had cats we had dogs we had so many different kinds of birds so many different kinds of fish we had hermit crabs we had mice we had guinea pigs we had rabbits we had all the animals that mum would bring home for rehabilitation so uh, I myself actually the first animal I rehabilitated was a blue tongue lizard which uh it was a juvenile and I found it after a dog attack 
And um, mum didn't think it was going to live, so she sort of gave it to me. And, um, <laughs> Just to ensure it didn't potentially as a child. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, it, I think she just wanted me to, like, feel good and help something. But it, yeah. it lived and, it, like, I kept it for quite a while. It outgrew its small enclosure and I kind of rehabilitated it to the backyard and it grew massive and it used to come visit me sometimes until it moved on with its life, I suppose. But Yeah. yeah I think a lot of people are quite surprised at how big blue tongues get when they are allowed to get to full growth. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, they can get to sort of like 30 to 35 centimetres long. Um, they're really quite remarkable. And in the wild, you don't, you don't often see them that big because they, you know, become a victim of circumstance before they get that, before they get fully grown most oh, of the time. Yeah. And I was kind of supplementing its rehabilitation as well too because I had it since it was small. So it would come back and I'd give it food so it wasn't exactly um, struggling. (laughs) And it would have known you too. It would have recognised you. Yeah, it was pretty good. I did find that it started to separate itself from me as it got older, like it Mm. became less friendly. And so I used to hand feed it, but then it started getting a bit snappy as it got older. So I would just leave the food and eventually it kind of just separated itself from mm. us and went and became its own lizard. Yes. <laughs> it just went off into the wild. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It was nice. And kangaroos, possums, wombats, did you ever have those as well? No, well, I lived in um, what was pretty much suburbia. So um when I was a little kid, I did used to just try and befriend every animal that would enter the the confines of our backyard, which was um, where I live, mostly small animals, so a little like skinks, um, the occasional frill neck, um, birds, mm. things like that. Mm. Mm. Wow. Um, so you grew up around animals, befriending animals, and now you're befriending Little tiny jumping spiders. Yes, I, I never stopped. They, these were the animals in my house and they are my friends. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have house plants? I have too many house plants. I'm a very good millennial and I have many, many house plants. Is there any such thing as too many house plants? No, of course not. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody that um, anybody that knows me or has ever been into any of my counselling rooms will know that um, I'm firmly of the belief that you can never have too many house plants because absolutely my, not. My, my rooms are both very green and so is my house. Um, so, um, and I'm not a millennial, yeah. <laughs> so it's really good because I have um, a lot of wild jumping spiders that just exist in the house and around the house, and I only keep a few. So the ones that I do keep sort of came to me under not ideal circumstances. So they were a bit unwell or they were kind of just in a spot that was dangerous for them and so I just kept them. Okay. And um, But then I have just stacks and stacks and stacks of wild ones and whenever I find them in like a funny spot, I'll just pop them in a house plant and hope that they set up shop and eat all the gnats. So Mm. (laughs) as well as the ones I keep, I have thousands of guest stars. (laughs) So I would imagine you don't have a gnat problem in your your house plants. I do not. (laughs) I have had in the past, but um, since I started keeping jumping spiders, um, it's decreased dramatically. And I also found once I started keeping keeping them so once I kept the guys in the enclosures that I have it for some reason attracts more jumping spiders 
Right. Okay. So do they also eat things like spider mites as well and aphids and things like that? Yeah, I believe so. Um, every plant I have them on is just like perfection. And I use um, the the guys who I keep captive. Uh, I don't know. I have like a strong belief if you're going to keep a captive animal, you should provide them with as good a life or better that they could have in the wild. So mm. I know a lot of keepers will just keep their spiders in their enclosure and just watch them. But I like to let mine out and um, I let them run all over the window screens and just they catch flies for me. So <laughs> they have fun and I like that. So it's very symbiotic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the, the idea that you have no pests on your indoor plants. I mean, as you know, from a as a, a Facebook crazy indoor plant person of Australia, um, who, you know, their posts are regularly asking, how do I get rid of gnats? By the yeah. sounds of things, get yourself a couple of jumping spiders seems to be the answer. Yeah, even if you keep them captive, just pop them near the plant with the gnats. And because the spider enclosure is quite humid, all the gnats will go in there and get eaten. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> So where do you get your little enclosures from and uh, what do they look company, like? Um, mm. There's a company in South Australia called Bug Frenzy and they're really great people actually. Like I've emailed them a few times with help for spiders and like they've always been amazing and um, they design and make these enclosures themselves, which in my opinion they're probably the best jumper enclosures on the market in Australia at the moment. And um. So yeah, what, do they, what do they look like? What, what do the little enclosures look like? They're about a 20 centimetre tall perspex box with a back lid, uh, back opening. Yes. On the side. So jumpers, um, they tend to hang around up the top of enclosures. So some people will try and put them in jars, but um, they'll make their little hammocks up the top of the jars. So every time you try and open them, it'll destroy the hammock. Right. So these guys have designed these boxes that open from the side. So you can see, sorry for the audience, I'm showing the conclusion <laughs> now, but you can see the spiders they build up in the top corners and it doesn't yep. disturb them at all. So you can open So it them looks up. like, so the little hammock looks like a little pod. So they live like in a, in, a, in a little pod and then the bottom of the enclosure there's sort of like a layer of soil and yeah, some correct. moss and then a little a little twig or a branch or some, yeah. some somewhere for them to hide. Yeah, they send you a little kit, a starter kit, but I um I build out my own bioactive enclosures myself. So I a lot of um, my indoor plants are orchids, so I've grown orchids in for the guys. Yep. And um, you can kind of see, I like to describe their little hammocks. They look a bit like the end of a Q-tip. Yes. They're yes. just a little, a little puffy pod. Yes. So that's where they sleep and where they, you know, where they rest. Yeah. Between... So little Richard's in Malt at the moment. So he's built a really, really good hammock. So he's pretty much sealed up all sides. So he's changing his little clothes and... He'll come out when he's got his fresh set on. Yeah. <laughs> so he wants some privacy. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't want to be seen naked. <laughs> Where did the name Little Richard come from for a little jumping spider? Well, so Little Richard, my neighbour actually found, um, she got a grocery order and he was tangled up in the bags and she said, do you want it? And I said, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll take a look at it and um, take some photos and normally I'll just pop them back in. Um, 
where I found them, but I got him under the macro lens and I gave him some water and he was really, really, really thirsty. So it's not a good sign when you see a spider that's that thirsty. When they get dehydrated, um, basically the hydraulics in their jumping legs kind of shut down. They can't jump anymore. So um, I decided to keep him. And when I got him under the macro lens, he had a very, very interesting pattern on his abdomen. It's basically the shape of a penis. Yes. <laughs> Which um, it, it's unusual for the type of spider he is. It's hilarious. So yeah. he's little Richard. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm hoping when he comes out of molt, he still has that pattern because it gives me joy. It's hilarious. Yeah. But he's obviously doing much better and he's obviously rehydrated beautifully if he's actually now in the position to be molting he is he he's good he he I was lucky with him he drank right away he got eating pretty quick um he was in a small enclosure at first because he was a sub-adult but um I he was building a lot of hammocks so I decided to move him into the big enclosure even though he's quite small and he's just thriving he's doing really well how old does a jumping spider live it depends on the type so you can get some spiders that'll live up to three years. Um, females tend to live a bit longer, but then there are some other species that will only live for about six months, especially the males. So a lot of the peacock spiders, um, especially in captivity, they don't live so long. So, um, yeah, there's some, I don't know, in the spider keeping community, I guess there's a bit of controversy about if you should or shouldn't keep um, peacock spiders. They just don't seem to thrive very well in captivity. Mm. And I think as far as far as I know, I don't think anyone's been able to successfully breed them in captivity either. Mm. Um, there are more robust spiders that just thrive. They're mm. fine. So you had a you you had a, an experience with a spider called Barsham. Yeah, he was my first little man. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about about your experience with him around how unusual he was. So Basham was just the most beautiful angel that's ever walked the planet. I actually found, well, he found me, I should say. I was um, sitting in the sun in the backyard and I felt something tickle my knee. And I looked down and it was the tiniest jumping spider I've ever seen, like, like I'm talking pinhead size. Like if you go to my Instagram spe- uh, page, Oods of Spoods, mm. you can see pictures of him perched on the end of a matchstick and he looks tiny on it. Mm. And um, he was actually drinking the salt on my skin, So, which I don't think it's unusual. I think spiders sometimes will do that, especially with hikers. They'll hop on and have a little drink, get some electrolytes. And... um. So I brought him in and he was just the most friendly spider. Like he would play with me and he, he just was bizarrely bonded to me right away. Like if I came to my his enclosure and I put my finger next to him, he just jumped straight on. Like it didn't take any bonding time at all. He was just bonded mm. immediately. Mm. And um, I tried to get an ID on him because I didn't recognise him. And I reached out to a lot of people, photographers, biologists, other keepers, 
nobody could give me a firm idea on what he was. I, I reached out to the museum even and just nobody could give me a firm idea. So the, so the Australian Museum? Correct, yeah. Wow, okay. Um, everyone kind of said, oh, he looks juvenile. He could be this, he could be this. You'll just have to wait and see what he grows into. And I said, oh, yeah, okay, cool. Um, so I kept waiting to see what he grew into and he never grew into anything. <laughs> so I had him for about five months. He never molted, never grew. He was always the same size. So I kind of, it makes me wonder if maybe he was a new species or a subspecies because he just looked the same the whole time. Mm. Um, yeah, it was really interesting. But, um I miss him. He was a beautiful angel. Yeah, yeah. And when? How did you? How did you find that he wasn't going to grow anymore? Well, I I think I was just kidding myself. I just kept telling myself, "Oh yes, he might molt one day. Maybe he's molted, and it's just so tiny that I can't see it in his enclosure." But um, he just never molted. So I had him for about five months. There were suspicions that he was a type of peacock spider so I wasn't sure how long he was going to live and once he once I realized he wasn't growing at all I thought maybe he isn't juvenile maybe he is an adult and um one day I came out and he was just sat on his favorite leaf that he had his little nest and he'd just passed away very quietly very peacefully in the sun and to me it just seemed like an old age death Mm. So it kind of confirmed my suspicions that he wasn't juvenile. He was just a little guy. Yeah, just a teeny-weeny little man. And I've I've actually since found a couple more um, spiders the same as him, but um, different personalities, not as friendly, not, not, mm. not the same, but mm. looks identical. <laughs> mm. Have you pursued that potential new ID? Um, I haven't. I I did keep Basham. I um, preserved him in resin, so I, I still have him. Um, I've spoken to a few people who do spider identification and um, it's quite a lengthy process and I think you really have to know what you're doing and as well the Maritus species, it's just, it's an ocean. There's new species being discovered weekly and being identified. Like there's just so, so many being discovered. And so it's difficult to pursue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just happy that they're here. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> and and keeping you might free by the sounds of things. Exactly. <laughs> so your own your own experience. You're a full time you're a full time student at the moment. What are you studying? So I'm doing a marketing and communications degree at the moment. So I've mm. had a little career change recently. Yeah. yeah. What brought that career change about? So I was an anaesthetic technician. I was working in operating theatres for. About 12 years, actually, a long time, straight out of high school. Mm. Um, uh, I'm also, I have a chronic illness. I have rheumatoid arthritis, so I am immunocompromised. And at the start of the pandemic, things were not looking good, as I'm sure everyone remembers. At the time, um, 
New York was just a disaster zone. It was really terrible. And here we were expecting the worst. We thought it was going to be identical to that. Um, they shut down operating theatres and they started training all the anaesthetic staff to care for intubated COVID patients. And so that put me in a position where I had to make a choice basically because we didn't know much about the virus back then, but I knew I was immunocompromised and I saw everyone getting sick and dying. So I made the choice to step back from what I was doing and go back and study and um, which was a difficult choice at the time because leaving, I got a bit of pre-survivor's guilt. I, like watching what happened in New York, I thought I was about to see all my colleagues die and I thought um, that I was wasting my skills, like I could be helping people and I kind of had to choose myself. And um, as we all know, it didn't, it didn't play out that way here luckily and... I haven't lost anyone, thank God, but at the time it was a very scary, mm. scary mm. time. <laughs> mm. Mm. But you made the choice to, you made the choice to step to step down and sort of take that that change in career. Yes, and um, that's actually when I started keeping jumping spiders. <laughs> Funnily enough. Mm. Mm. And did you, when you made that really hard decision and you were having, you know, this 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 time where you believed that you were going to lose colleagues and friends, did you seek out, did you he- seek out mental health support? I did actually. So I went and I saw a psychiatrist and psychologist. And um, so I already had some mental health problems around my illness Like uh, I couldn't do a lot of things I used to be able to do and I'd been trying to get back to work full time and I'd been struggling and then this was kind of the final nail in the coffin, so to speak. So on top of all of that, it was a big change. And, um, yeah, so I had to speak to someone. Yeah. Was it helpful? It was, yeah. Yeah, I think... It took me a long time. I probably should have gone and seen someone earlier, but um, I'm glad I eventually did. I think, mm. as you probably know, a lot of people in the medical industry, the odds are kind of stacked against them for going to seek help. So it can affect your job status um, if you have to disclose mental illnesses. Um, there's also the problem of you see so many terrible things every day. You kind of push what's going on in your life to the back because you're comparing it to such awful, awful things. And in your head, it doesn't seem as bad, even though it's affecting you greatly. So Mm. a lot of us will wait till the very, very last minute to go and get help if we go and get help at all. Mm. Hmm. It's it's interesting you say that. I have I, I have this conversation with cl- with clients quite often around, you know, your experience being valid. Um, and you know, Gandhi is famous for saying comparison is the thief of joy, um, and that includes you know being allowed to go and seek help. You know, when we compare our experience to somebody else's. There's always somebody who's got it worse or having it worse or experiencing worse than you. And I think it's really important to be able to allow yourself to 
go, you know what? What I'm what I'm seeing and the response that I'm having is bad for me. You know, yeah. while I might not be the one in the bed, what I'm experiencing is really it's it's true. It's my experience and it is, you know, it is how I'm feeling. That's yeah. it. And even if you're not directly affected by the trauma you're seeing, you still take on that trauma. It affects mm. you even if it's not directly happening to you. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. So how did you how did your spiders help you? at that time? Well, they're a very calming presence. So like I said before, I've got all my wild spiders and every now and again I had a few that would just set up shop. Mm. And, um, yeah, it was just nice to have a little friend who was always there and they're just interesting, I suppose. So I have my dog as well who's a companion, but um, Mm. she looks after me more than I look after her, (laughs) And it's just nice, like you have this little enclosure and it's like a whole other world and it can kind of take you out of what you're experiencing and you can just watch this tiny little creature building their life in front of your eyes. It's it's very nice. And they they respond to you. So when you say their name or you or you look at them or you, you know, take in food, do they do they watch do they watch your actions and respond? They do. They're really responsive. So some types are more responsive than others. So um, Edamame, he is a Maritus Crisius. And um, this is probably not the most appropriate turn of phrase, but I always say they have crackhead energy. They're just belligerent. So yeah. <laughs> they, um, every now and again, I'll get a day where Edamame is just a beautiful angel and he'll hop around on my hands. But most of the time they seem to think skin is just disgusting and they jump so high, and that's why I named him Edamame. He's a jumping being. Yeah. But, um, some other types are just really placid. So Bijou, who I used to keep, she was um, a superb jumping spider, and she was just so calm. She'd sit on your hands, and um, she was a bit like Barsham as well. So she and I bonded right away. And they're not like a dog. They won't come when you call their name, but they'll respond to your voice. So if you if you sit there and have a chat with them, they'll they'll tilt their head. They make eye contact. Um, even wild ones, if you go and you have a bit of a chat with them, they'll often they'll come out and have a look. Like, what are you doing? And mm. some of them love the camera lens. So I'll mm. bring. Um, wild I would imagine. Ones. I would imagine that the camera lens is very much like a mirror. Yeah, well, that them. as well, and the clicking. So I found some of them, they'll just do their own thing. I have a little light box, which I made, and I'll just pop them in there for a few photos before I put them back. And they'll be doing their own thing, wondering how they got there. When they hear the clicking, they'll pop their head up and start (laughs) posing. So on my Instagram page, I've got a lot of pictures of spiders, like looking right at the camera, just head tilting. (laughs) They're fun to photograph. Real, 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 Real little characters. Yeah, they are. They're little supermodels. Yeah. So, you know, are you surprised that you've, are you surprised that after all of the animals in your life, you know, you know, you've had kangaroos, you've had lizards, you've had dogs, cats, guinea pigs, you've had all these animals, that the thing that you have connected with, the creature that you have connected with, the little personalities that you've connected with are jumping spiders? Well, honestly, I love every animal and 
this is a bit um, Disney princess of me, but I just feel flattered when animals want to be near me. And it just happens to be jumping spiders. So, yeah, yeah, I just like it. Like, honestly, it could be any animal, but um, I've somehow become the Disney princess of jumping spiders and I'm fine with that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for your time today, Christy. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That has been another episode of Wild Secrets brought to you by Wild Talk. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Christy, my guest today. Thank you to Nick for putting these together. You can find out more information about Christy's Oods of Spoods on Instagram and by looking at the description for this podcast. You can also find out more information about Wild Talk on Instagram, Facebook and their website, wildtalk.org.au. Until next time, thank you very much.